Welcome to Vintage McCoy. I'm Rick Brown, and I am with my new friend, Eric Metaxas. Stick around. You're going to have a fun ride. Kairos, this is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea. It's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom. And we're not going to bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back to Vintage McCoy. I'm here with Eric Metaxas, and we're going to be talking about his new book. And actually, Eric and I are just having fun. We're talking having about, fun about. I'm all kinds so of stuff. glad Rob McCoy could not be here because we're having fun. I've already had fun with Rob. I love yeah. Rob. I know you've he, done that. He knows for years. that. That's why if I really love you. My love language is to make fun of you publicly, to say something disparaging. That's how you know I love you. Well, there's so. a lot of love flowing then. Well, it's oh, no, it's true. It's true. We tease each other, so that's kind of. Those are That's my great. best friendships is where we just tease each other. Well, we want to talk about aspects of your new book, yeah. Fish Out of Water, yeah. which I'm just excited about. And you're going to be with us all weekend, and we're getting the podcast. We're going to ring I you know. out. You're I, just, but I, just I, that, that's, I'm thinking if i got to come to Thousand uh, Oaks, you know, is that what it's called? Yes. I'm getting confused. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I just it's a joy for me to get to know you, know, you and to get to know Rob better and to hang out here. It's, it's fun for me, so mm -hmm. I'm actually... Really thrilled that I'm here. Thank you. Yeah. We left off, and you said you wanted to unpack some more things about yeah. a supernatural experience that led to your conversion through oh, yeah, a dream. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've written a book, Miracles. Yeah. And so we want to talk about the divine nature of God. He's supernatural. All through oh, the yeah. Bible, He yeah. has the ability uniquely for yeah. each individual. Yeah. To have the keys to the heart yeah. to open it up. So take well, us. Take a lot of people that. don't really. Even people who think they're Christians or, or are Christians don't really believe it. Really. Yes. And I want to say, um, look, I know that uh, I pray all the time, and I don't hear from God, or I don't get what I'm looking for, or whatever. Okay. But I will tell you, God has spoken miraculously to me through a number of things, a number of times, and they're not. I, I literally, this just happened last weekend. Uh, I was preaching um, up uh, here in California, Northern California, and my wife's uh, mom passed away. Sunday morning we woke up, she was 96, and my wife says, my, my mom uh, died. And I thought, wow. You know, we kind of saw it coming, this and that, but why I'm bringing this up is that a few minutes later, my sister-in-law calls up and says, I got to tell you about the vision God gave me last night. Wow. Now, she's in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, grandma was in, uh, in New Jersey in her home. Joanne, my sister-in-law, tells my wife that last night uh, I was in bed, uh, and I don't know if I was like w awake or if I was dreaming, but I had a profound vision. And you know, that you know if you have like a real vision from God, it's not like daydreaming. It's like seeing a TV screen, okay? This has happened to me a handful of times. Mm -hmm. But it, when it happens, it's like, it's not kind of like, hey, gee, what was that? It's clear 
that it's God, right? It's not just bad pizza. So no, no, it could be, but no. <laughs> so my sister-in-law, this is right after we find out. I mean, it's a week ago. My mother-in-law passed. Okay. So my sister-in-law calls up Suzanne, my wife, and tells her that last night I was in bed. I had a vision that I walked in, in the vision, I walked into mom's bedroom. I took her hand and I said, mom, it's Joanne. And mom looks at me and Joanne says to her mother in the vision, mom, I have Jesus with me. Do you see him? And my mother-in-law looks up and says, yes. And then Joanne says, so mom, I'm gonna leave you with Jesus now. He is gonna take care of you, is that okay? And she says, okay, bye. Now, think of the mercy of God that he would give my sister-in-law this vision for the whole family to know, is, is mom with God, is she with Jesus, whatever? You know, she was kind of like a Catholic who didn't really talk about her faith, but we believed that she believed, but it was kind of one of those things. The sweetness of God to give Joanne this vision, but here's the punchline, and God always does this. When it was over, Joanne looks at the clock, 2.54 a.m. That is, in fact, when her mother died. Like, wow. we know that this was real, and, and, and that, that God gave her this totally miraculous, she didn't see Jesus in the, dream, in, in the vision. She said to her mother, I'm with Jesus, do you see him? Yes. He's going to take you now. He's going he's to take care of you. Okay, bye. I mean, mind-blowing. Now, I know my sister-in-law didn't make this up. It doesn't sound to me like just like something she dreamt or something. It, she said it was real. And she knew when it was over, Mom has just gone to be with Jesus. It wasn't kind of like, what was that? And then she finds out. She knew mm -hmm. that this was real. This stuff happens. Now, if it didn't happen to you or it didn't happen, I'm just here to say there is no doubt when you walk with Jesus, you will experience things like this. Some, some people experience a whole lot. I've got friends that, you know, they're hearing from God and, you know, and, and some people experience it very little. Look, the heroes that I wrote about, Bonhoeffer, Wilberforce, they don't talk about this kind of stuff. These are profound Christians who didn't experience this, but their whole life was given over to Jesus. So it's not like you want to be running after visions and dreams and miracles, but oftentimes that is what God does. And uh, that's what God did in my conversion at age 25. And if, if people have tracked, you know, with, with what I was talking about in the previous conversation we had, the, there are basically three things that you need to know for the dream to make sense. So the first thing is I said I was raised in this Greek environment. In fact, my father always would look at the chrome fish on the back of a car. This is in the 70s, right? But he'd say like, you know what that is? And I was like, no, you know. He said, well, that's a, the, the, the Christian symbol that the early Christians would use that symbol and it's a Greek word. A lot of people don't know this. Mm -hmm. It's the Greek word for fish is ichthys. Mm -hmm. And the word ichthys is an acronym Isus Christos Theos Imon Sotir, or Isus Christos Theos Iu Sotir, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. So the early Christians used the secret symbol because they knew that it stood for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. So I see the fish and I realize, okay, Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior, 
but my father's just psyched because it's a Greek word. He gets to teach me this Greek thing, right? It's just so, like big fat Greek. It, it, oh, it is. It is, right? <laughs> so, uh, so then um, growing up in Danbury, Connecticut, fishing was like a big thing for me. That was like my hobby. You know, I was in a bass fishing tournament when I was 16. But, you know, you don't look at a, a city slicker like me from Yale and think like, bass fishing, really? Yeah, that's what I was, I was into that stuff. So that was a big thing for me, ice fishing, fly fishing for trout, for everything, panfish. Like, it was just what I loved to do was my main hobby. So if you say, who were you at age 25 when you had this dream? Those are two kind of major pieces of my life. But the third piece is when I went off to Yale what I call the life of the mind, trying to figure out what is the meaning of life. Even when I was just an English major and I didn't know what I believed exactly, I was some kind of a Christian, but I was trying to figure out the larger meaning of life or who is God. And I came up with this kind of new age idea. If you're an undergraduate, you come up with ideas like this. And I kind of thought, you know, I took a course on Freud or on Jung and, and I, they have this idea and for people who are listening, if this doesn't make sense, don't worry because it's dumb anyway. But I'm just going to tell you that that the, they the, they had this idea of like that the a model of the soul is like we have the conscious mind, and then beneath the conscious mind is the unconscious, right? So that's fine. And what Jung says, and this is very new age, he says, well, the collective unconscious of all of humanity. That's God. That's the divinity. That's Godhead or whatever. Whatever. It's like this kind of new age energy force God version, right? So I kind of thought, well, maybe that's what all religions are getting at. And I came up with this image, like a literary image of a frozen lake. And I thought maybe the goal of all religions is to drill through the conscious mind, through the ice, to reach the water, which is the collective unconscious, which is God. Maybe that's what all spirituality is. And there's some truth to that in a way, but... It was just this new age idea, and I kind of came up with it. I didn't know it was new age. I'm trying to figure out the meaning of life. But it was kind of like, okay, maybe that's what it's all about. So, of course, it doesn't mean anything. And I, I live my life, and it doesn't, it doesn't comfort me or anything. But it was kind of an idea in the back of my mind. And when I moved back in with my parents at age 24, I'm going through this really difficult time. They're looking at me like, why are you back here? Like you went to Yale. We didn't get to go to college. We didn't get to grow up in America where we had food on the table every night. What's your problem? And I was, you know, floundering around and whatever. And during this period, my friend Ed Tuttle is sharing his faith with me. And at the end of about a year, I, I think I was just beginning to open up to maybe God is real or maybe, like maybe I'm, I'm willing to be open to it, but I have no concept of if it is real or if it is, I don't know what I think. So the Lord speaks to me in a dream. And in the dream... I'm standing on a frozen lake, Candlewood Lake in Danbury, Connecticut, and we're ice fishing with, with a friend or, or whatever. And, and obviously it's winter, and in Connecticut, I mean, the, the ice is, you know, super white, and there's snow, and it's a brilliant sun and blue sky. It's one of those gorgeous winter days. And I look down at the hole in the ice, and there's a fish kind of sticking its snout out of the hole, like it's there, which does not happen if you've ever ice fished. And so I reach down, and I pick up the fish, and I hold it up into the sunlight, and it's a pickerel or a pike, and it has, you know, kind of bronze coloring, but in the brilliant sunlight, you know, so bright on this beautiful day, it looked golden. And I'm looking at it in the dream, I'm holding up this big fish, and it looks golden, and then I realize in the dream, it is golden. It is made of gold, but it's alive. It is like a fairy tale. It's a golden 
fish. And then suddenly in the dream, I know God is saying to me, you know, you wanted to drill through the ice to reach inert water, this kind of like God force or something. And I wanted to give you something better. I wanted to give you my son, your savior, Jesus Christ. And I realized in the dream that this fish is ichthys, the fish, Jesus Christ, the son of God, our savior, this golden fish in this dream, in this fairy tale dream. And I realized in the dream, it's over. My search is over. I have found what I didn't think you could find. Jesus is my answer. I was looking for some God something, and God says, no, I'm going to one-up you with your own dopey symbol system, and I'm going <laughs> to blow your you mind. He met you right where you were. And he met me exactly where, you were. where I was, using this Greek word and this thing and my fishing, and then the life of the mind and the silly idea, and he met me right and it, in the dream, I was flooded with joy. I knew Jesus is Lord. This is real. This is true. I, I was just flooded with joy. I knew that I had Jesus, that it was over. And I woke up. I told my friend the next day at work, he's like, what do you think that means? I said, it means I have accepted Jesus. I never would have said that before. Like it was... So what did Ed say? And I said, well, we're still friends. It's 32, <laughs> three years and I, it just changed everything. So, so now I'm having fellowship with him every day, and I'm hearing the Bible, and I just was growing like, you know, crazy. And, but it was that dream where the Lord spoke to me. I call it the secret vocabulary of the heart, that, that it wouldn't have made sense to anybody else, but it made exact sense to me. And let's face it, God in the dream proves that he knew me better than I knew myself. Like, to sum up my life in a, in a magical dream, how do you not just go, okay, Lord, I get it. You're God. I'm not. Thank you. And now uh, I'll, I'll give you the <laughs> I'll, I, I'll give you the remainder of my time. Like this is it's all yours, Lord. I, I've, I've been uh, not doing such a great job with my career or anything, so thank you. And you know, let's let's walk together here, and you lead me from now on. And it, but it changed absolutely everything. And the book Fish Out of Water. This is the culmination. So I I didn't want I I, I want I mean I I wrote the book Fish Out of Water: Search for the Meaning of Life principally for believers to have something to give to non-believers who don't, maybe they wouldn't read a really Christian book, they'd just be, that's not for me. And it's, look, the book is fun, there's a lot of funny, crazy stories, uh, it's, it's nutty, and if you wanna know kind of where I got my weird sense of humor and stuff, you know, it's all in there, and I think it's entertaining. People have said that it's a great read, and it, but the culmination of it is this Jesus dream, and I don't want, I feel like if you're gonna give it to somebody who is, you know, not interested in, in God or whatever, just don't, don't give them the punchline, whatever. Just say, I think you'll enjoy this book. And there you go. people that are not Christians or conservatives or whatever have loved the book. There's nothing political or it's yeah. not a Christian book. It's a book. But the ending of it mm -hmm. tells you where, how God got a hold of me. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that, that phrase that, you know, a biography we're the hero of our story, but a testimony is Jesus is the hero oh. of our story. Isn't that, I mean, that'll preach. And, uh, uh, yeah. and I think it's so great because that's where the book takes you. It takes you to Jesus in yeah. this experience. And so the supernatural aspect of those things, 
First, I have to ask you because I'm dying to. You said I have this terrible no, dead end job. With it. Oh. what are you doing? What are you doing for work? This is God's who, who idea. Who is Eric Taxis now? Yeah, uh, New York Times bestselling yeah. author. Well, what, what were you doing? Oh, it was horrible. I mean, you got to understand. It's kind of <laughs> like wanting to be an actor or something. You get a job like as a waiter or whatever. You, you know, you yeah. don't. That's not who you are. But it's like you got to make money, so you get a job. What can you do with an English degree from Yale? Other than nothing, um, you didn't never the, wanted to teach. Only no, no, no. I never had any ambition to teach or give of myself in any way. Uh, I just thought, you know, I want to be a writer. So, um, I guess, how did this really go? I, I guess so. I moved back in with my parents, and I don't have a clue what I'm going to do. I mean, I was so lost. People don't know. I mean, I'm I'm lost now, but I my hand is in the hand of the man from Galilee, so I'll be okay. But I just was so, you know, and the only thing that I had been able to do, like in, in the summer, I think it was the previous summer, some of the summer jobs, by the way, in this book, people are going to die when you read <laughs> what I did in these summers. You will die, I'm telling you. I One summer I worked with a Nazi painter uh, and, and a racist guy, and they both were at the KKK gathering in Danbury, Connecticut, whatever. They came in the morning, you know, we're kind of like having our coffee, and you're getting ready. Of German and I'm immigrant. sitting there like, what? What? Like, wait till my friends at Yale hear about this. So, but I mean, I write about these crazy stories. But the one summer that I was in New York, I got some kind of like literary internship, which pays nothing. So my parents were like, what? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, so how's it a job if you don't get paid? So, of course, I had to get another job. And what can you do? And somebody said, well, why don't you try proofreading at these? Some of these law firms will pay like, you know, 10 or $11 an hour, but it's like, you know, weird hours and whatever. I was like, that's great. So this is like 1983, and so I got a job as a proofreader at these law firms, and it's just mind-numbing work, but, the, you know, if you have an English degree from Yale, like, it's easy to do. So when I went to Danbury, Connecticut, I thought, what can I do? And I look in the paper, there's like a proofreading job at Union Carbide in Danbury, Connecticut, the world headquarters of this international chemical conglomerate. So now, it's a technical manual. This is like, yes, technical. like a yep. nightmare. Yep. <laughs> but I needed money, so I go there, and it is a totally corporate environment. It was, it was my idea of hell. It was horrible. Yeah. I was in a cubicle like a quarter of a mile from the nearest window. Like it was this kind of, you know, building in, in the middle of nowhere, and it just, just a nightmare. Corporate, and God brought me to that place so that I could meet the graphic designer, Ed Tuttle, who led me to faith, who walked me through. And I just think, look at God, what he does. He brings you so low because he loves you. Mm -hmm. He let me get to a place where I, I was open to God. Mm -hmm. You know, just a bit, yeah, but just enough that he was able to reach me, get me away from my friends. You know, I'm, I'm living this miserable situation with my parents and whatever, and yeah. he was able to reach me. And it, it just changed everything. But I mean, yeah, I laugh. I mean, that was, I mean, all this is in the book, the, the, the Union Carbide and the, oh man, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, no, it was not, it, I always say it was kind of like, you know, it was Gehenna. It was, it was really not a, not a fun job for me, yeah. but it, it's what got me to the, 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 the whole point of my life, you know, yeah. so. And so we were sharing in the last one, you came to Jesus through a very supernatural dream. It was so perfectly custom designed, every detail, to meet Eric right where he was. And that's what, that's what blew my mind. Yeah. You're like, so what, what, who could do that? That's yeah. God. And 
I gotta tell you, you know, cause yeah, my brain was not gonna like concoct something on its own to lead me to Jesus, you know? Like I don't, I don't get that. No, it was incredible and my life was changed overnight. I say it's like going to sleep single and waking up married. It was like totally, <laughs> you know, totally different. Yeah. And I stopped sleeping with my girlfriend instantly. We'd been together for three years and I was like, oh, now I know, no, no more. I want, I want God, I want God, I want yeah. God. I, I, I was changed. Yeah. I was, I knew that this is, this is it. This is what I'm looking for and it's real. Mm -hmm. It's not a philosophy. This is real. God is real. And he has led me in miraculous ways. My, the next book, I probably won't write it for a couple of years, but the sequel to this book tells what happened to me after this. And there are just a series of amazing things where God led me miraculously. And, you know, if you read it, it's hard to argue with. I mean, it's, I don't know what people would make of it. They might not like it. Sometimes people don't like stuff, and so they just ignore it. But, yeah. I, you know, I don't think anybody could say, I'm making it up. Yeah. For me, my conversion was very supernatural too, and we were talking a little bit. It would be good for us because we come from a um, just a first century New Testament Christianity that sees the supernatural work, dreams, visions, um, healings, healings, I mean, I mean, like, yeah. everything from, if you really believe Genesis to Revelation, uh, the God that we love, that, well, I should say, that loves us and then we just responded to yeah. that love, is supernatural, and we were touching on uh, things that you said. If I, if I had the dream and I was from Iran or Iraq, it would seem okay. Yeah, people okay. would say, like, Muslim. all these Muslims are right, having these right. dreams. They see Jesus, whatever. Um, look, God's going to do what He's going to do. It'll always challenge some people, and it'll always challenge some religious people. Hey, tough luck. I mean, God is God. I don't, you know, I didn't, Amen. I didn't choose to have the dream. Yeah, I just went to sleep, yeah. and God chose to speak to me that way so yeah. yeah and we were involved with uh ministry in iran where these supernatural dreams and visions were happening and we got invited through a series of events they couldn't obviously they're under police watch they started house churches they've only been saved three months six months and now they're doing a house church so they have no biblical understanding they have no pastoral care they were they've been muslim their whole life and talk about a, a the the trouble that they had, and so we got involved. And somebody told us about them that they wanted a pastors' conference, but they have to get out of the, the country. So we chartered with our mission budget. We chartered a plane, flew 122 Iranians out of Iran for their uh, Muslim New Year's to Istanbul because that's a normal thing that it seemed normal. They're allowed to do that. They're normal, allowed yeah. to do that, and. And we did this pastor's conference for five days. Now they've never been baptized because they're not gonna get baptized in public. If you convert somebody, I mean it is um, Muslim law that if you convert a person from Islam to Christianity, it's a capital offense. I mean, you can be um, executed or imprisoned. And so we're baptizing these uh, Iranians in a kiddie pool on top of a hotel roof. Oh. <laughs> Man, <laughs> and, and but all of their stories were so incredibly supernatural, and when you have that experience and you've seen, you know, I've been walking with Jesus for thirty six years, and the supernatural that is a regular part. It's not a miracle of moment. Even if you look at the Book of Acts, right? It's over thirty years, yeah. And it, there's about thirty miracles, so basically it's about a miracle a year. Yeah. So it's not like a miracle of moment, right? The the supernatural God intervenes. Oh, there's and no that's doubt been in your story. Right? And we don't get to choose. You know, I have friends that uh, do healing and deliverance, and it's just obvious that they have a particular gift and that it brings people to Jesus, 
And it's just, you know, now uh, that doesn't happen to me, but we have to be open to what God does. And I think obviously it has to be biblical. It has to lead people toward Jesus, not toward some like angel spirit guide or some crazy thing like that, because that's called the occult. But it, it is real and it really does reach some people. I mean, for me, as I was saying before, I was so intellectually gummed up that I needed uh, uh, God to break through in a, in a miraculous way. I mean, I see it now. Yeah. That otherwise, I would have always been just spinning and wondering, and you know, yeah. it had to be kind of definitive. So, amen. Yeah. So uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? I mean, he, he's the same Jesus. You fast forward. You're saved. You meet the love of your life. You guys have been married. Uh, 25 years or so? Tell me. I met my how, wife in was, church. Okay, she was in a fact, Christian. In fact, I met all three of my wives. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I preached, I preached at Times Square Church in New York City where I met Suzanne. David was David Wilkerson's church. Yeah. Um, and so when I preached there, I said, I met my wife right in this church. I said, in fact, I met all three of my wives right in this church. You don't feel it. What? No, so Suzanne and I have been married. It's going to be 25 years in October. And, um, yeah, we did meet at Times Square Church in New York City, uh, and Suzanne, she was in the cosmetics industry, and then uh, after we got married, she ran a crisis pregnancy center, or pregnancy center, whatever it's called, in Manhattan for 12 years, so, you know, we were in that whole world, and uh, I don't know, you know, how I would be able to do what I do and live the life I live if I did not have... Suzanne, I mean, I think, because, you know, it's gotten challenging, especially in the last few years, to just to stand for truth in a world that's gone loony. Mm-hmm. So I feel particularly blessed that I have Suzanne. Amen. And that's, I mean, unless you have that soulmate when the whole world's coming against you, because you're standing for truth, you have a radio program, your writings, and what kind of, what what is some of the most vicious attacks that is that is coming, Eric Metaxas? Other than way. Rob McCoy not showing up for this interview, because <laughs> yes. he totally hurt. ditched you. That he just hurt. he just ditched you. Um, no, I tell you, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, I have lost friends, and I will tell you, if you know me, nothing was ever more important to me than friend friendship. Mm. If you're not a Christian, if you're what I will just love you. You're my friend. Mm. So to have a couple of friends, completely like decide that I no longer want to be your friend after 35 years or something, it's incomprehensible to me. But you realize how, I mean, I have to look at it from their point of view. They're really hurting. They're so lost and so bitter and so whatever. And so I, I just love them even, you know, once I get over the fact that, because it hurt me, you know, it's hurt, it hurts. But people are so divided. And I have to say that I know it's irrational. It doesn't make any rational sense why mm-hmm. people have given themselves permission to despise Donald Trump. I mean, look, there's a lot of people you could dislike. You could say, you know, I don't like he does this and that. Great. But to give yourself permission to despise someone, um, you really have to kind of break that down for me logically. Like, why are you giving yourself permission to do that? Because you didn't do that with President Obama. President Obama was like insanely liberal on all these policies. He looked like a good family man and whatever. But he did things that were antithetical to what I think a president should do. He was pro-abortion. Um, but you don't say, like, I despise him. If you love God, you, you, you can say that I despise his policies, I despise his presidency, but, you, you know, the human being is a human being made in God's image. So when people give themselves permission to hate, 
whether it's to hate uh, Trump or to hate people that have supported him, mm -hmm. they never have been able to, and I don't think it's possible, give a rational explanation. Because first of all, as a Christian, we are simply not given permission to hate. Right. It's not okay. But people have given themselves permission. They love hating. It feels so good to be morally superior and to find somebody who is the focus of your hate and all your problems are because of, you know, mm -hmm. Um, that's not biblical, I'll tell you straight up, it's just not biblical. And uh, the fact that, that Trump was so pro-life, uh, uh, I thought. He was the most pro-life president in the history of the republic. He made Reagan look like Carter. I mean, it was just amazing to me how pro-life he was. And people say, oh, that's cynical. He's just, it's like, I don't even care if it was cynical. If, if you do what you think the people want, you are their representative. And I don't think it was cynical at all, but I'm saying, but even if it were, how do you fault somebody for legislation and for a posture that is for the unborn lives? Like, how's, that a, how's that a bad thing? I don't know. Uh, he stood up magnificently for Israel. He understood the basic stuff that every American should understand, like, we need to have borders. And if we have really strong borders, then we can welcome people in and we know who's coming in. This is like... It's so basic to even have to explain it, it's preposterous. But there are people that they've just thrown their brains out and yeah. they just, it's all emotion. And, you know, it's kind of like saying, well, I want free college, I want this. And, you know, you want to say, okay, so who, who's going to pay for that? It's always who's going to pay for that. And they just go, ah, like they, there's no actual money. response. We're just, just going to print Yeah, we're going to print money. We're yeah. going to devalue our dollars That's the way right. that the Nazis, I mean, the way the Weimar, you know, Republic devalued the Deutschmark. And, you know, we'll all be... Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll all be wondering, how did this all happen? It happened because people threw their common sense out the window and, right. and just decided their emotions led them to, to do all this stuff. So I, it's been really hard for me, but I have to say that you can't write about people like Bonhoeffer and then when tough stuff comes, say like, well, I'm going to look the other way because I want my books to sell or I want to, you know, be uh, on the New York Times bestseller list or I want to, you know, you have to do what you think God is calling you to do and God forbid I would do anything else. So to have people, including many Christians, mm -hmm. somehow become hostile to me, I, look, I love people that are my ideological enemies. If you disagree with me, I still wanna love you and pray for you. And I have not spoken ill of people, even though they've spoken ill of me publicly, I just don't wanna get into that. I, I don't wanna do that, it's yeah. just not, I mean, I, I really do take friendship seriously. So these people that I've been friends with over the years, I'm not going to become your enemy because, you know, you, I mean, maybe we won't, you know, do stuff together or whatever, but I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to uh, get into that public fight like that. I just, I just don't want to do that. It mm -hmm. just doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me. I just want to do what I do. And I honestly trust God with the results. I mean, I can't really... You know, we can't be so calculating that we are afraid to do what we think is right. We have to do what we think is right and just trust God's got the, 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 the results. I'm not going to worry about it. And, and on that note, Eric, I mean, it's rather cliche, but I think uh, cliches often come from well-worn truths in the sense Correct. that you, you have to have the skin of a rhinoceros and a tender heart. And usually people get thin-skinned and hard hearts. So we mm. want to have that tough skin and... And, and keep our hearts tender. But that being said, um, with this this season of hostility, yeah. uh, 
I've never seen anything like it in my life. Right. In the nation. Well, nobody I mean, has. Yeah, we've not, we've not, I mean, the closest you could come to it would be, you know, uh, the craziness in the late 60s and That's the anti-war right. stuff. Yes. Yeah. But this is worse than that on many levels because we, we have really lost the, uh, I guess, let's put it this way. Uh, things really do change. Social media has changed how we can communicate and the, the nastiness that people, the way they speak about each other, that, that really has changed in a way. And we're, we're kind of calling each other out you know, publicly and saying mean things. And I think that that's, we're, we're in a strange place. And so it's a challenge, I think, for, for us as Christians who love this country. Like, where do we go from here? Well, one thing we have to know, God is with us if we're with him. If, if we say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you ask me to do, I will do it, well, then the Lord's with us. And whatever happens, mm -hmm. that, that, that changes everything. So my goal is not to save America. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I want to save America, but my ultimate goal is to obey God. Yeah. And if, if everything here goes down... take care of the results. Well, that, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And so, but I do think that God wants us to work to save the republic. Uh, I do believe that firmly. And I... You know, I'm, I'm not one of these Christians. There are many Christians who kind of act like, well, it's all going to hell, and that's fine with me. Let it burn. And I, no, that's not God. Mm -hmm. That's a fatalistic yep. attitude. Uh, Jesus didn't say, let's go to the cross. You know, mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. he didn't want to go to the cross, because unless you're insane, you don't want to suffer and die. But you say, nevertheless, Father, thy will be done. So if it turns out that we lose the republic God will give us the strength to face that. But we don't say, let's throw it out. We don't care. How can we not care? If you care about human beings, which God commands us to care for the poor and to care for others, you want America to be strong. You want America to be free. Uh, right. If you care about kids in the ghetto, you, you have to care about speaking against socialism, speaking against BLM Marxism. Those things are the enemies yes. of the poor in urban communities. Right. So you can look woke and look like you care. You can virtue signal all day long and be on board with critical race theory and all this different stuff. And But if you As you have actually, private security and live in well, your mansion, right? I mean, but I mean, to me, if you actually care about people, you have an obligation before God to speak against socialist policies, big government policies, critical race theory, uh, cultural Marxism, BLM, these things are the enemies of uh, urban minority communities. And some people could disagree with me, but I don't care. I know that. And because I actually care about urban minority communities, I will never shut up about this. Yes. And I say the same thing about the, the election or whatever it is. We have to be free in America to speak the truth. And God commands us to speak the truth. So if mm -hmm. you just want all your friends to like you yeah. and you want to be cool, you're not That's serving not God. Work. You have to do what's right. And he will worry about who likes you and doesn't like you. Bonhoeffer was very lonely. Yeah. A lot of church people turned their backs on him. They mm -hmm. thought, what's he doing? He's getting involved in the military intelligence. And what, you know, what, what, yeah. is, what is he doing, this man of God, getting involved in this weird stuff? He answered to the audience of one, God. God, what God calls me to do. And if I'm wrong, that's between me and the Lord. That's but right. I'm not going to worry about other people. And I think part of what I think that God has called me to do is to be a voice for people that are, there, there's confusion. And I, I want to help them negotiate this weird time, to, to be able to walk through it 
and to try to do the right thing, try to speak the truth, because a lot of people have just said, I'm, I'm out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to preach the gospel. And my attitude is like, what gospel are you preaching? If you're not talking about these things that are going to affect people, mm -hmm. you're, you're, what are you doing? Like you're, yeah. you're, not, you're preaching a, a, an empty gospel. Yeah. You, you have to preach a gospel that uh, sometimes gets political. I mean, Bonhoeffer got totally political and Wilberforce got totally political because they said, I got to care about the slaves. These are God's creatures, and that's going to take politics mm -hmm. to fight that. I'm not going right. to say, well, I don't care about that. Hey, maybe they'll go, maybe, you know, in slavery they'll find Jesus, and I'm just going to preach the gospel. You have to care about human beings. You know, when Jesus says, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, if you were on a slave ship, wouldn't you want some Christians to get real political on your behalf? If you were in a boxcar going to Treblinka or Auschwitz, wouldn't you want some German Christians who say they believe in Jesus, who defeated death, wouldn't you want them to be courageous in that faith and speak up for you? Well, so what about the unborn today? What about young men that are struggling with same-sex attractions? Is nobody going to speak the truth so that that young man can, can hear something that says, I don't need to go down that path? Are we so afraid, are we so selfish that we're not willing to sacrifice anything for those people, sometimes that involves getting what looks like political. Yeah. But it's like, we didn't choose that. The world mm -hmm. chose that. They make these things issues. And to respond is not to say, I'm making an idol of politics. And so many people have said that to me. Like, I mean, people who've read my Bonhoeffer book, and they kind of read it through the, this like woke filter, and they think, well, it's obvious Trump is, is Hitler 2.0, and how come you're not standing up against him? He's fascist, he's what, I, it's like, no, he's not, you don't really know what fascism is if you think Trump you don't is know fascist. The definition. We, people wouldn't be cursing him on the airwaves and at the Grammys if you lived in a fascist state. Those people would be tortured and killed, but they're not, so this is not a fascist state. But people, they speak out of ignorance, and they speak out of this, through this filter, and they've condemned me for, what, selling my soul, you know, for Donald Trump or for political power? And I think, I, you know, no, I don't think so because I have spoken against that idea. But, you know, people get very opinionated. So I, I, don't, I try not to get in arguments with people on that stuff. I think that I, I just pray the Lord would help them to see it. And I really think what we're going through now uh, in the madness of this crazy administration, I think some people are waking up and seeing that, hmm, Maybe, you know, kind of mean tweets uh, weren't the worst thing in the world. But, right. but, you know, I can't convince people. So the, the choice that we have, and it's the choice that I've really, even being here to help Rob, because I come from a very, a conservative stronghold in Idaho, mm. as red as you can be. Yeah. People had asked me through the 25 years of being there as the pastor, why aren't you political? I'm like, I'm preaching to the choir. They, these people in right. our community, right. even people that are non-Christians, right have these conservative values, it's, it's rural America, it's all these yeah. roots, and there was really no need from right. my perspective. I right. couldn't up our red states uh, right, right. thing. And so, but I come here and I, I, I got slapped in the face with a whole new world in California. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, this is where the fight is. And it, it, if we don't engage, we yeah. just, like you said, there's really two choices. People disengage, because yeah. it's too ugly, it's too messy, yeah. it's just yeah. terrible. Yeah, that's called being selfish. I hate yep. to say it, but like people yeah. are like, well, I don't want to lose my job or my friends. It's like, well, wait a minute. Right. What about the people that are depending on you to speak up, to do the right thing, to vote the right way, to vote mm -hmm. your values and to vote for them? I mean, if you care, I said earlier about, you know, a kid 
in an urban community, you're going to think carefully how you vote. Mm -hmm. You're going to say, what are the policies that are going to bless that kid, give that kid opportunities? Right. So the cowardice of many people that I've been shocked by yeah. that have stepped away from the fight or yeah. haven't spoken up or have joined this new woke ideology, yeah. Yeah. even from Christendom, yeah. and, and leaping on the bandwagon, uh, it really comes down to Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. And there's, there's a point that we have wow. to stand for truth and everybody wants to be, uh, young people want to be spoken well of. The young high schoolers that come out conservative, they emphatically say it would be easier to come out trans, gay, lesbian. Totally. Uh, I mean, of course, this is the irony. Is but that if they all come these... out conservative, yeah. they're toast. Yeah. They're cut off. And... Well, this is actually why we need community. In other words, I say to people, like, find people who are, you know, really in love with Jesus. Find people who share right. your political values. Hang out with them and encourage each other. Don't don't put yourself, you know, as a sheep among wolves because you will get picked off. It just becomes too difficult yeah. to negotiate, and you don't need to spend your life arguing with your liberal friends. Uh, it, don't argue. Hmm. L let them think what they want, and but but you need to find a community that supports you, yeah. uh, and you need to, to 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 encourage other people in that community. We we need to do that because people are being, um, uh, you know, as as I said, you should only. You should only hang out with people who disagree with you enough so that you might be able to have some effect on them. Once they begin having an effect on you, um, now, it doesn't mean that we can't learn anything, but I'm saying you have to be careful because a lot of times people, it becomes emotional, and they're like, well, it's, it's this emotional thing, and I, I was hanging out with some black people, and they had this attitude. It's like, look, there are people of every color that have every kind of opinion, so it's not about that. Mm -hmm. It's about what is right and true. Mm -hmm. And don't let somebody's emotion m move you because you can have an emotion that moves you in the right direction. You can have an emotion that moves you in the wrong direction. We've got to actually look at this stuff. And critical race theory and, mm -hmm. and anything cultural Marxism, all this stuff, this is from the pit of hell. Like yeah. This is not going to lead anybody in any good direction. And if you really care for the poor, you really care for uh, people struggling with same-sex attraction, you really, if you really love those people, you have an obligation to understand that simply agreeing with those ideologies is actually going to hurt those people. Mm -hmm. they may, it, may, it may make those people like you temporarily, mm -hmm. but if you really care about their souls and their lives, mm -hmm. you, you have to do what is right. So there we are. So people ask me, Rick, what do I do? Yeah. And, and so uh, I say, well, each of us have a voice yeah. and we have a sphere of influence. Yeah. The mom who hangs out at the park with three friends and their kids, they have a sphere. Just be a voice yeah. of love yeah. and, and truth because Jesus, you know, the, Paul tells us the Ephesians, tell the truth in love. I'm going to speak the truth. And um, so whatever sphere of influence or platform God gives you, yes. be an influence. Be salt yeah. and light well, that, because that, that's, that's how it works. Well, I, I and say, so what would you encourage? I say in? a couple things. I okay. say, first of all, because I'm a writer and because I have my radio program and, you know, the YouTube and all that stuff, Part of how God uses me is as a way to uh, encourage people. In other words, I, so I say to people, tune into my show, not because it's my show, but because I talk to people that will give you perspectives and information that you're not really going to get very many other places. I mean, I, I've interviewed so many 
amazing people. And I know that those conversations are a powerful encouragement to the people who watch it. I mean, I know yeah. that. And yeah. so I, I put myself out there as a resource yeah. and I say, you know, look for me or sign up for my, go to my website, which is ericmetaxas.com. And you'll just get these emails and, and you can see like, wow, you know, he interviewed Lou Dobbs. What's Lou Dobbs doing? He interviewed Milo Yiannopoulos, who decided now he's going to be chased. He is not going to pursue the same-sex lifestyle because he's now a Christian. That's crazy. That's amazing. I've interviewed these stunning people, these incredible things. And I know this is like a shot in the arm for people who watch it. So I say unapologetically, yeah. please read my books, please watch my show, because I do this, obviously not for myself, I'm, I'm trying to get it out there, yeah. but beyond that, what I say to people is just what you said, you don't realize the voice you have. Mm -hmm. And just think of the power we have in our money. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not talking about giving away millions of dollars. To get, now, if you have the money to do it, you better give it for God's purposes because we need it yesterday. Yeah. This is not something for you to save for the future, we're in a war now. We need bullets now, we need food now, because we don't know if we're gonna win this. We don't know if we're gonna have a battle a year from now or five years from now. Like this is, everything's on the line now. But for people who don't have a lot of money, I wanna say that think of all the money you spend, where do you spend it? Are you spending it in places that support your values? Or are you spending it in places, I mean, uh, one of the things I say is like, Mike Lindell has been such a heroic figure and yeah. he's taken such a beating in the, he oh, doesn't man. care, he's cheerful, he's full of Jesus, he's he amazing. Is. He is amazing. But when people attack him, Kohl's, Bed Bath & Beyond, these are stores, Kohl's, Bed yeah. Bath & Beyond, and a number of others, Costco, yeah. they have canceled him. And I, my attitude is like, okay, if you wanna play that game, I would say to every freedom-loving American, please write an email to that store and say, I am never gonna shop in your store if you have this policy. This is un-American to cancel somebody like this. Mm -hmm. You don't have to agree with him, but for you not to carry stuff because you disapprove him, that's unacceptable. And not only will I never shop in your store, I will tell all my friends never to shop in Kohl's or Bed Bath & Beyond or Costco, whatever. We're gonna find another way because if you choose to behave in that way, there will be a price. We need to make them pay the price. A lot of times conservatives or Christians say, like, well, I don't wanna get involved in, but look folks, if you give your money to a company that is using that money, that where you, whatever you did, whatever you bought or whatever it is, they're using those profits to promote an agenda antithetical to everything you believe in, if it's possible, you should not spend money with them. And yeah. if it's possible to spend money uh, with a with a with a Mike Lindell uh, or or a whatever, support anything that is supporting you and what you stand for. And I and I say that to people. I mean, Mike Lindell is one of the sponsors on my program, so I sort of everybody use the code Eric and go to Mike Lindell. But I <laughs> say this. But I say this not because uh, I, I say this because I I want people to know you can support people who are taking it on the chin. Mike Lindell, let, let, let's be honest. Every dollar he gets, okay, he is spending millions and millions to fight for the things many of us believe in. He's doing it. I know he is. So he's not taking yeah. that money and buying boats and stuff. I know yeah. him. Mm -hmm. And so I think to myself, if you buy a bunch of stuff from MyPillow.com, the profits are not going go to go to promote values that you hate. They're going to go to support stuff that you believe in. Like, we need to begin thinking this way. When Coca-Cola gets woke, people need to say, I'm gonna never 
drink another Coke product or buy another Coke. If I can help it, I never will. I will find something else and I will write an email. It's so easy. An email to the corporate thing, contact. Let them know. Don't be nasty, but let them know that because of your politics and because of doing this, not only am I not going to buy this stuff anymore, but I'm going to tell everyone I know not to buy it anymore. Yes. We have incredible power and we're not, we're we not need to use we're it. We're not exercising. Yes. And if you don't yeah. use that power, yeah. folks, it's on you. You're yeah. part of the problem. We've yeah. got to we've got to become activists. And you know, you can all, sometimes you can only do it so much, but for goodness sake, do something. Do what you can. Yeah. Do what you can. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to end this segment because I have to go write some emails to some companies. Thank you. Right after this. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, thanks for watching. For more information, head over to vintagemccoy.com or follow us on Instagram at the Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.